Hello and welcome to Please Watch This, a film podcast where two film-loving mates with gaps in their viewing history recommend films to one another so they can once and for all answer the question, who has better taste? My name's Sam Blakely, as always I'm joined by Hugh Dempsey. Hugh, how's it going? Hi Sam, how are you? I don't know, I went on radio too then. Um, yeah, I'm fine, I'm good. I uh, started learning to drive this week at the tender age of 30. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's always a good age. Never too late. Never too late. Never too late. Never yeah. too late, mate. You'll be tearing it up the place. You'll be driving hither and thither. Absolutely. But the only problem is I work... I've got the same available hours as all the 17 and 18-year-olds in the town, so finding the, finding the lessons is a, a, another another issue. You're not a driver, are you, Hugh? I'm not, no. Like you, I'm uh, um, not a... Uh, not a man behind the wheel. Well, I mean, I'm not a man behind the wheel. I've, I've been behind a wheel. Um, yeah. Have you had a good week? Yeah, quiet. Not nothing, nothing strange or interesting to report. It was bonfire night here in the UK on Tuesday night, so that I always like a good bonfire night. This totally plays into the stereotype of uh, oh, we just two ordinary, completely average guys. Let's start a podcast. Da, 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 da. It lit- <laughs> I mean, we're unusual that neither of us can drive, so I think that's our niche. Perhaps we should pivot into a podcast um, about people who can't drive in their early 30s and uh, we'd have a minuscule audience. I reckon there's some, or, yeah, there's some legs in that. Yeah, that'll do. Yeah, yeah. Let's sack up. Everyone's doing movies. Let's talk about the challenges of not driving. <laughs> you know, don't you hate having to get a bus everywhere? I tell you, the, the trains <laughs> in and out of Leeds, oh, the delays, <sighs> tell me minimum five it. or six minutes, it's just unbearable. Yeah, t- really we're not is. here to talk about that. <laughs> we are here to talk about Place Beyond the Pines, the 2012 uh, drama, crime, tragedy thing, film. What I like. Yeah. So the way the show works, the host, in this case me, has seen a film. They love a film. They've recommended it to their chum. Uh, in this case, Hugh is my co-host. And, hello, uh, hello, yes, hello, Hugh. Um, so it's please watch this. I've asked Hugh to please watch this film, and what I'm going to do is talk about why I love it. Then we're going to find out if Hugh likes it. Hugh, are there going to be some spoilers? There's always spoilers in our podcast, Sam. I'm very sensitive to spoilers. I don't even like hearing how what somebody thinks of a film. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm glad we've. I'm glad that you've watched this film this week then because it's going to be full of spoilers <laughs> yeah so if you're, if you're listening and you haven't <laughs> seen Place Beyond the Pines don't listen or maybe if you just never if you feel like you'll never watch it just carry on listening we could do with the listenership um, yeah we, like and subscribe like and subscribe click the bell if it's YouTube yeah. but it isn't probably leave a five leave a review please leave us reviews that's, we've heard it's good more to the point yeah. uh, get in touch with us you know on Twitter it also inflates our ego it, that's if it you leave a good review it's not it's not money at the end of this it's not fame or glory it's quite like seeing that listen counter go up if I'm honest <laughs> and I like the emails and the tweets to get, us, get us on Twitter yeah get us on Twitter we're at please watch pod and uh, yeah. we'll reveal the email address later keep them hooked Hugh that's how you do it in this game that's it isn't it Sam? keep them hooked and for also, an hour I think what we'll do at some point is we'll definitely have an episode where we t- discuss you listeners views on the films that we've watched um i think that'd be interesting because it's always nice to hear what other people think about i'd the love to get a listener recommend. on if i'm honest to you. you a whole one well we've had a couple i mean we'd vet them obviously yeah well yeah the couple yeah. are you know your friend my friend and my brother that's people that's people who listen and Hollywood what, superstar. they don't count so, i mean yeah they've got ears and you- such you just want a stranger, don't you? I do. I want a strange person with views. 
A strange. Well, can we just have a stranger with views rather than a strange person yeah. with views? Because if they have, a, if it's a strange person with views, we don't know what kind of views they might Look, have. Beggars can't and be choosers. We'll take anyone. So do get in touch. <laughs> Tell us what you think about. So if your you are films. part of the far right, <laughs> I'd like to know about your film. I mean, do you yeah. like films? What kind of yeah. films? Do you cry at good films? Far right people. <laughs> oh, is it only World War Two films yeah. that you cry at? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a bygone era. Yeah, but people were devastated when the when uh, Rationing Schindler's list yeah. writes the list. <laughs> yeah, they really like powder. Like, oh, he's saving them. <laughs> How dare he? Yeah, absolutely. So that you know, yeah. get in touch. Um, let's get into this film then. I'm gonna. Yes, yeah, so Samo. Yes. Why do you like Place Beyond the Pines? Tell me why. I. I really like Place Beyond the Pines. This was um, when I was living in London. I don't think I'd yet got the Cineworld Unlimited card. Um, Cineworld, if you're listening, I will take money. Um, but I was going to the cinema more. This was pre-having a child, so I could go to the cinema like several times a year. Um, and it was a year in which... <laughs> Show off. Uh, it was a year in which I sort of really started to get into these kind of films. Place Beyond the Pines is a very um, emotional, artistic kind of film without being wanky. Um and it, it was probably... I think it was in my top three films that year. There's another film that we might do in a future episode that I believe Hugh hasn't seen called Killing Them Softly. It has a couple of the cast from this film and it has a lot of the same um, strength to it. Not, it's not a similar film at all, but same year. Um, really well-made, beautiful film that's quite quite dark as well. I'm going to get into it then. What th- Sorry, go on. What's, yeah, I was just about to say, what, so what is the plot to this film? This film, oh, good idea. Yeah, so the plot is um, rather unusual. So this is really where we get into spoiler territory. And this, unfortunately, is the... uh, I'll be revealing a spoiler that Hugh knew before he watched this film, which I'm really, really hoping didn't affect things. Um, It begins with Ryan Gosling's character, Luke. He's a sort of motorcyclist, death uh, cage-type person. He's a carny. Um, He meets up with an old fling. Turns out she had a child by him who's one year old. He wants to provide for that child, so he sticks around rather than carrying on on the road with a carny and gets into bank robbery because it's a good, quick, fast, easy way of getting the money that he needs in a, and using his unique skill set. As a result of this, and here's where the spoiler comes, about halfway or just less than halfway into the film, he commits a bank robbery and then gets killed by a police officer played by Bradley Cooper, who's only just got into the film. And then we basically cut 15 years into the future and it follows their two sons so ryan gosling's character's son who doesn't know that ryan gosling's character was his dad um they're at the same school they interact and it's kind of like they're trying to have they're sort of trying to get away from the obvious future that they have based on their their father so it's a really it's not a tight plot narrative thing it's more of like character portraits and family portraits over over 15 years. I, th- I think it must be mentioned as well that when the two boys meet at school, so Bradley Cooper's son it transfers for his last year of secondary school or high school in America uh, to the same school as um, uh, Ryan Gosling's son. Um, they become friends unbeknowing of their family history. Exactly, so and that obviously becomes a, a point in their friendship. Um, yeah. Because, of course... See, I'm just pouring there, right near the mic. Uh, because, of course... Uh, Luke, uh, Ryan Gosling's son, um, his father was killed by 
<laughs> Bradley Cooper's sons. Uh, so father, um, oh. father, yeah, not but not my son. So yeah, it becomes this sort of inter- time travel in this as well. Intertwined <laughs> sort of thing. It's all about coders and all about circles and parallels and it's. Uh, I think I said last time or the time before when we were talking about Midsummer. Um, I really like a film that's in foreshadowing and circles and you see the same thing twice very often so it has a lot of that so I'm going to get right into why I love it um, I really love this film because it's a really confident film it's a really gutsy move we've talked about the fact that Ryan Gosling's character dies nearly, nearly halfway through and he's the one we've invested all this time and energy and emotionalness emotion into and he dies and, and it's it's a very I mean Roger Ebert I'll get to later he called it almost cocky this film really really confident um, um, takes no prisoners it makes some incredible decisions there's a bravado there to killing killing them and then kind of having Bradley Cooper lead the film he's only been in it five minutes or less and then sidelining him in favour of two relative unknowns in Dane DeHaan and uh, Emery Cohen to kind of lead the film that they're they're playing the sons of the, the two men so really ballsy film it's not even though it's got some amazing stars in it, it's not really it doesn't feel part of that Hollywood Hollywood machine, which I really like. Another major aspect that I really like is that it's it's messy. It's human characters are messy. They're very human, um, you know. So uh, Avery, played by Bradley Cooper, he's a good man, but he makes silly decisions. He's he neglects his son. He's quite egotistical and ambitious as well. Ryan Gosling's character Luke, he's sort of a good man, but he's he's clearly from a difficult background difficult parenting he lacks self-control and he does some horrible things even Romina played by Eva Mendes um, she's the mother of Luke of Ryan Gosling's character's child um, she's a good woman she's trying to make the best for her, for her son she's with a man who's stable she's getting a stable job she's going back to school but she makes silly decisions she keeps going back to Ryan Gosling she sleeps with him or at least that's implied she's still attracted to him and she won't just let him go and I just really like that it's yeah. really messy. It's very human in that sense. And I think the third most important thing that I'd mentioned about it is that it's mythic. This idea of, uh, you know... It's what, sorry, repeat that? It's, it's mythic. Mythic, yeah. There's, you know, it's hard not to, to look at the film and think of the phrase, the phrase like, sins of the fathers, um, you know, that somehow the sons are paying for that and they're, they're destined always to follow in the... In the, these cursed footsteps of their fathers and it is mythic in that sense it is fathers and sons um, and I really like that because it, it plays very heavily it leans very heavily on that um, but it's as I've also mentioned in a previous episode I really like films where I'm sort of just thinking the whole way through I'm not necessarily thinking to work out what's happening more just it's making me think about deep things and thinking about my life and so on so just really like this film it's beautiful the soundtrack is brilliant the atmosphere is brilliant You'll have heard a, a snapshot of the soundtrack at the, the very beginning of this episode. It's just bloody brilliant and beautiful and all those things. So that's what that's cards on the table. That's why I love this film. Yeah. Okay. So why would you recommend the film to me then? What, what do you th- think I would like about it? What I think you would like is that as much as a lot of your recommendations to me have been very mainstream because yeah. I've not seen a lot of mainstream there's a lot of mainstream films I haven't seen so I've never seen a lot of Star Wars I've never seen Indiana Jones I've never seen a lot of James Bond I do think that you that you would like an unconventional film like this a film that would kill its main character halfway through I think you might like that right okay and um, what do you think I might not like about it 
part of me, just based on the reaction to some of the films that I thought were surefire winners like The Shining, I don't know if you're going to like it. And I think one of the things you might not like about it is the that you might not believe in the character's decisions. I don't know if you right, would believe okay. that Luke would push to do try and do two banks in one day, or that Romina would sleep with Luke, or that AJ would continue being friends with Jason. And I do right. think that you would have problems with some of the character decisions. So I'm hoping not. But I, if I was I was trying to pick out why I think you won't love it, because I don't think you'll love it. But that's why. Right. Okay. Um, well, we'll find out after the break, won't we? If yeah. uh, I liked it or not. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a big big deep breath in and. Uh, I look forward to hearing your opinion. Join us after the break. Welcome back to Please Watch This. Now, fingers crossed, we're going to hear Hugh's views. That's a that's a feature, isn't it? Hugh's views. Yeah, we're going to hear Hugh's, Hugh's views. views. Hugh, did you... Please tell me you did. Did you like Place Beyond the Pines? In fact... I didn't like oh, it. <laughs> so, do you know what? Listening to you talk about it there, I knew as soon as... So we've had a couple of films where I've been a bit sceptical going in, but this was one of these films where I really wanted to like it because it was a film I remember seeing the trailer for it back in 2012 and going, I really want to watch that. I've watched Drive. Drive's amazing. I really want to watch this film, another film with Ryan Gosling in. He's not some heartthrob actor. He's this actually serious actor, you know, kind of almost like a Brad Pitt kind of guy who's almost too good looking for the roles he takes on. And so I was kind of like, oh, I want to see this. And then I never got round to it for various reasons and didn't have access to it. Um, and shall I tell you the, re- the, the reason that comes to mind, the reason I didn't enjoy this film is because it comes to the... It, well, there's two reasons, right? It comes to the ending. The ending doesn't really give you a proper resolution. Now, that's fine as a creative choice. We've, been, we've talked about this at length before, that sometimes an open ending is good. But with this film, you get an end, you get one story arc and it plays out and it finishes. And then you get a brand new story arc about an hour into the film and that kind of finishes in almost the way that the, the father wanted. So Ryan Gosling's character wanted to, to leave and go travelling, but couldn't really do that because, like you said, he, had, he felt like he had these responsibilities. And because he had these responsibilities, this young character feels like he can go off and do that. But we as an audience know that this kid's life isn't going to be that great because it spent the last two hours and ten minutes saying crime doesn't pay, where you come from is who you end up being. So good luck, but yeah, you're pretty much as screwed as your, pet, as your father and your mother were. So yeah, and it's a very negative way to look at the end of the film. I watched an essay on YouTube before we uh, before we came on, uh, on to do this tonight and he compared the one of the sh- to the shot in the film where uh, Ryan Gosling character um, Luke is driving on his bike inside the cage and saying he's on this wild ride and he's trapped inside and the young lad at the end when he's driving off on his bike he's actually free and you know it's that interpretation and it's like well no you've just spent two like I said you spent two hours telling me he's not going to be free yeah the way I read the, the ending was that he I mean he rides off on a road on a on a bike <laughs> like his dad um, yeah. so I read it more like a, a deterministic you know you're trapped sort of way 
Is it? The, I feel like maybe you're you just don't like films that have a negative ending. I remember you talking about with the circle with circle. Sorry, that one of the things you didn't like about it was that it was kind of immoral or amoral, and actually that that's not necessarily the film, but reflecting the amoral characteristics of people. And is it is it that mm-hmm. would you have liked this film if his son was able to to throw off the shackles of his father, and it actually ends with him just being well adjusted and getting a job? Because um, isn't the moral message of the film that actually the sins of the fathers will be paid by the by their sons? Personally, my biggest issue with this is it. I don't think it's very well edited. I wouldn't have put the narrative in this order. I would have had the second half of the film first and the first half of the film second. And then you can make your own mind up of how the kid's going to leave. I would have like that bit where he goes and gets the bike at the end of the film still. And then maybe have the, the, the last bit of the first scene just before that, you know, the, before the 15 years later cut. I think um, that's my personal gripe with talk, it. As... Talk us through that again, sorry. So, so talk us through sort of bit by bit. So, that, so for me, now this is just my personal preference, right? Um, is I would have had... So you know when it goes 15 years later and you're introduced to AJ and... Um, I, I don't think I quite bought AJ being Bradley Cooper's character's Avery's son. It is interesting honestly. because he's not, he's not got the characteristics that Avery has... And he's just playing. Them he's not out. even got the character, but he's not even got the characteristics of his mum. His mum's quite uptight. His dad's quite a smart guy, and the character's a bit of a dickhead. He is, for lack he's of a, sort a better of person way. who would, um, like, get on social media at four twenty to celebrate four twenty and make sure everybody fucking knew about it. <laughs> you know, is that sort? Yeah. Isn't the point really that Avery's ambition has meant that he's neglected his child? Really, rather than uh, see, him I being was, like his my, See, I didn't see it was his ambition. I thought it was his kind of almost post-traumatic stress from shooting Luke and that he was, you know, that he says to the counsellor, doesn't he, I can't look at my son anymore because he's, they took, both have sons about the same age and he feels like he can't put that right. So he almost, you know, he's, he neglected his son in that way rather than his ambition getting in the way. But, I mean, it's suggested both ways. That's my interpretation of it. So, again, um, I suppose that's that's kind of, again, going back to that Russo and biblical thing of, therefore, his father's sins are the cause of his downfall, his problems. You know, it's not that he's yeah, replaying but, his dad's issues, but that his faults are the cause are caused by that. Yes, but it also does that thing of, well, he isn't... He isn't the kid's clearly not in a bubble of influence. That's solely affected by his dad. He's got you know his dad's quite successful his grandfather's successful his mother's morally well adjusted she's you know they the, the two cops or the three cops really otter's character mocks um bradley cooper's uh, wife for being overbearing you know in a kind of a very um very misogynistic uh, way tox- yeah toxic, very yeah. toxic masculinity way which is fine you know this film's set in the early 90s I've, at first so I've nothing wrong with that you know that's what well, those people they're also scumbags <laughs> yeah they turn out <laughs> to be that's kind of the like worst. a really good character portrayal of oh there's a dickhead yeah. right okay if, if you didn't get it before 
from the fact that it's really otter and ever since he's been 24 he's a scumbag in every film <laughs> he, he was yeah. handsome and like fresh-faced now he's a fucking scumbag in every film and in fact he's in killing them softly as is ben mendelson and again he's of course he's a scumbag <laughs> you just i've never seen have you seen him play a good guy in 25 years not that i can remember yeah. but i think he's a bit typecast and it's also the look, i think it? he's I think he kind of takes. I've never seen really ought to push himself since Goodfellas. <laughs> yeah, I'm really, yeah, no, honestly, yeah, I agree. just I on agree. a tangent here, I'm not a fan at all. I've never. He's in one. He's in. He's in a few good films, but he's never been as good as he was. He's in not Goodfellas. a good part of films. He's in. Yeah, yeah. There's a really good film called Youth in Revolt with them. Um, I know they said John Cena then, Michael Cera. Um, I think yeah. no 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 it's not good youth in very revolt. hard to get those two confused <laughs> yeah, very body type and so I think it's youth in revolt yeah. and he plays a, uh, just a scumbag sort of guy there and yeah he's just scuzzy I mean he's probably quite a regularly nice guy do you know what I mean yeah but oh yeah it's, it's, just it's facial to... type it's like Sanchez in License to Kill it's the pock marks and the, the facial yeah. scars and and he's just yeah it's weird it's weird that somebody so good in one film can then never replicate that in any other films. It's a, there's usually yeah, you, good usually actors. it's child actors who do that. He was I don't know how old he was in Goodfellas, but presumably in his twenties, possibly thirties. Yeah, and he's and he's I think he's been living off Goodfellas yeah, for exactly, twenty yeah. years to be honest. You know, whereas um, sort of like you know the other people in that film haven't. <laughs> you know, they've sort of done yeah. other things and. So yeah. Anyway, back anyway, to my yeah, point. Personally, how I, I mean, this is this is my interpretation of it. It's not a criticism of the film itself, but it's how I would criticize it from my point of view. Is maybe I'm not comfortable with the narrative structure, and you were saying that it's bold and it takes these choices to kill off its stars or change perspective to you know young teenagers who aren't famous. You know, it has no regard for narrative structure in that in that sense and it's like you said it's more like a, a three act play rather rather than you know a conventional Hollywood film which to its credit I think you're right is a strength of the film um, but personally I would have had it I would have edited it that it would have started after the crime you're not aware of what happened with Bradley Cooper and Ryan Gosling ah so when and he then, finds out that it was every Sunday yeah. that's a hit for everybody else yeah, so I would even have it the bit you know where he's going up the stairs. He's making it where um, Dane DeHaan's character uh, he's making out with the girl, and he starts seeing Avery uh, on the wall, and he's like, "That's your dad," and he freaks out and has the fight with AJ. That's kind of the bits where I'd then cut back and I'd have um, you'd have Ryan Gosling's character's introduction and him walking through, you know that that I mean that the beginning scene of that brilliant where it's got the tracking shot to him going to those death cage bike riding thing in the circus I think I would have had it's him introduced there there almost seems like it's weird it's kind of like this film's very top heavy it's yeah it, all, that is fair all it's best qualities are in the first 50 minutes I think I enjoyed sorry go on yeah I think they are I think I think everything after that I just don't see the point in I've got this opinion when it comes to these kind of films is that if this wasn't made in America this would be a it's a melodrama essentially it's a cop drama mm. that you would see on the small screen or it's a it's a slice of life that you'd see on the small screen and the cinematography wouldn't be as good and the actors wouldn't be as famous and or as talented and it would be just a bit meh and you wouldn't you might watch it on ITV on a on a Tuesday night but never think I anything think that's of it. playing it 
I don't think it is, Sam. I think there is genuinely good writing and good stories that you get on television. The difference is they don't have the A-list celebrity stars and they don't have the cinematography and the budget to be able to produce films that look as aesthetically pleasing. I think and... I think this gets to the major... What I'm only just realising now is probably the major difference in our tastes in films. A lot of the time when you hear about you know what's the, the thing that you look for most in a film... A lot of the time, it's is it story, is it performance, is it dialogue, etc. One thing that doesn't really get mentioned enough in sort of public forums when, when talking about these things is what I always look for or start with is is the moral message of a film, and it's something you'll see in a lot of advice for writers' books and so on. Yeah. So whenever I'm trying to think of a writing project, which you know I'm not a writer, uh, I think that's fair, but I'm an, an aspiring sort of want to start writing kind of person. Um, I'll never start with. A high concept which is what most of the time you think of if you think oh that would be a good film it's because it's a high concept I always start with what's the moral point I'm trying to make what's the message I'm trying to make whether that's so what is the message that they're trying to make in this film then so the whole is it film about the sins of the, the fathers, sins of the fathers. It? yeah it's it's the it's the but have we not had that story well Sorry, yeah I'm it's just... in the bible but you know we've had every story really the point is that it's not. It's not the story. It's the right. So the then, if we've already had this story, then what makes this? Sorry, Sam, to interrupt, but what makes this better than? I'm trying to think of something comparative, but you know what I mean. There's like dramas that you would see all the time on TV or on Netflix. I think you know, what makes it better. Be, I mean, even before this film was made, I think what, what makes, makes it, better it better is the execution. But also, I've never seen a film like this. I've never seen it played out like this where. You get very invested in in essentially the fathers, and then, then you're just suddenly with the children. Um, it's so, like I say, it's the it's the moral message, and then it's the way in which that's communicated. Sometimes through music, sometimes through sort of visual motifs that then come back. So, talking again mm-hmm. about Luke's character uh, goes goes biking on on the on the road with the track that we heard at the start, and then later in the film, his son Jason is cycling on the road and then we hear the same track sometimes it's really obvious like that in the way that it's done there's loads yeah. of kind of like say coders and, and mirror images even if it's something like Luke Ryan Gosling's character goes to give money to Romina at her car and then later on Avery tries to just tries to do the same thing when you see Jason yeah. uh, down by Ben Mendelsohn um, Robin's uh, place and he's going around the same things he's wearing his sunglasses and all those kind of things I think it's it's a deeply affecting film and I think what it isn't is a neat story or it's not like oh I've got this idea for a story this would make a great movie it's this is a point I'd like to make and this is how I'd like to make it so I, I honestly can't think of a, of a film or bit of art that's done it in this way as much as it's a as much as it's a thousand you know it's a millennia year old moral message I, I think the execution is what does it for me right fair enough I mean what I said I liked about this film was I think the cinematography is great um, the cinematographer uh, Sean Bobbitt mm-hmm. um, has done an excellent work and actually um, when I looked into him he did the uh, cinematography on the film 12 Years a Slave on the film Shame uh, which has a great cinematography in it as well um, there's another uh, film with um, Michael Fassbender in called Hunger which I've not seen but I'd like to see oh, it yeah. and um, that's got quite a stark look to it because it's set in a prison for the majority of it um, so I'd like to see that as well and I believe the cinematography and that's pretty good so 
Yeah, this film, it's, there's no doubt about it. It is an absolutely gorgeous-looking film. I'd love to know more um, about it, cinematography because a lot of a lot of our films that we've looked at tends to it tends to come up with this is beautiful cinematography, but it's hard to know yeah. what it, what is it? Is it the color palette? Is it the choice of shot? And that's kind of the director as much as the cinematographer. Is it? We just we just know that it looks so. really good. You know, we're not we're not really experts in. So a lot of, sometimes a lot of it's got to do with lenses and the choice of lenses that they use. Yeah. Um, I like a lot of depth to my image. I like a lot of not naturalistic, or, or well, I think it looks naturalistic, but it's actually like hyper realistic. But then sometimes they use that muted color tone as well. So it's got vibrant colors but muted. I quite like that and uh, the good lens, like almost lens flares. Um, and then it comes yeah, down to I mean, telling a story, doesn't it? As well, it's not just what looks good as well. It's kind of like. Yeah, it's a it's a whole other art form. I just uh, I can't get my head around yeah. the amount of decision making that goes into it. I think we also what is sorry, go on, go on. No, no, you go ahead. I was gonna say we should also talk about the soundtrack as well to this uh, this film. Yeah, um, I was literally gonna say the soundtrack. Um, so composer Mike Patton, uh, you heard a bit at the beginning of the show as you mentioned. Yeah, uh, do you know do you know heard. what Mike Patton's other major credits are in terms of I what he's done in his career? It. Um, I'm guessing it's stuff we've either looked at or stuff that we like. He's lead singer of Faith No More. Oh, I've heard of them. I can't think of a song of them. It's sort of like '90s kind of uh, like Jane's Addictiony type. Oh, so sort of thing. Proper rock. Yeah, sort of. yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. Um, and it's really surprising. Yeah. So there's a really wonderful interview with uh, the director uh, Derek Cian France. I think that's how you pronounce it. Let's let's assume that's how you pronounce it. That's what it. we're going with. Yeah, <laughs> that's the decision. Um, on for the BBC. Oh no, is it the BBC? Anyway, where they I think it's the BBC. Um, where they kind of interview. Let's say the BBC. Let's assume so. Well, they uh, interview filmmakers about their kind of music in their films, and it's really interesting yeah. to hear him talk about things. He was a huge Faith No More fan. Uh, growing up, he was at a party, and um, a sort of talent agent said. Oh, I've got you know. Have you heard of this guy, Mike Patton? Uh, he was in this band, Faith No More. Derek sort of stopped him and went, "Just stop there. I know more about him than you do. What do you want me to do <laughs> with him?" And you know, and he worked with him, and he'd say, you know, every couple of weeks he'd send me a few, a few tracks. And that doesn't. There's very few specific tracks that stand out with this film. But I mentioned in a previous episode, Once Upon a Time, I think that um, that I use the soundtrack for this film to mark this film and drive. Really? Yeah. I mean that's some great choices there to really get you in the uh, marking. Yeah, it's the it's the it's the atmosphere. It's the lack that of makes that must make marking very intense. Yeah, I brood, <laughs> I like... brood over over these uh, essays. Um, Kids are like, why did I get a D? Because I was listening to Place Beyond the Point soundtrack, <laughs> and I felt really you know really dark about the yeah <laughs> the the ultimate yeah. destination of mankind um so the soundtrack is yeah, great I there's think a couple the of great pop songs as well in there like bruce springsteen and, and funnily enough hall and oates uh, play a role as well yeah i mean the the score is so atmospheric and it does lend to the sort of sweeping grandiose nature of this film because um i've seen it described as you know the small epic and it is it's if you put good cinematography good camera work good you know, good. Like, I think the directing in this film is good. I don't think it's bad directing. My biggest issue with it is I, I wouldn't order it in that way. And perhaps that's maybe I think me that's being a bit, bit more conventional. Narrow. I think that's a bit like, oh, the story's the main thing rather than the message. I would like to see that cut. I would like to see that film. But I think that would be, I don't want to call it mainstream and this is like deep indie art house stuff, but I do think that's a bit more conventional. And I think it would be just less interesting to me. See, that way. I don't think it would be. I think it'd be more interesting because it would 
I suppose they would both do the same thing. They would both inform the characters and the choices of the teenage boys, AJ and Jason, and their their sort of decisions that they make. I think throughout. that sounds more like a film than like a like a human reality thing. I don't know. Like I said, I'd like to see that. I'd like to compare them, but just on just. On I also instinct, just felt that I just it's yeah. um, this for me was almost like three films in one or three episodes of a TV show in one. You've got the first episode, Ryan Gosling meets his maker. Second episode, you know, the man who brought him to his maker finds out corruption in his police department uses that to leverage um, himself a job with his education. Third act, he's an important person and then his son is living with those consequences. I don't think well, it's not necessarily criticism. It's, it's, it's not criticism to say it's got three acts though, is it? Because, you know, Pulp Fiction's pretty no, good. No, no, <laughs> no, no. But, uh, but, but they're very delineated. I mean, I haven't seen a film's tone change so much since. Yeah, well, I think... I would say From Dust Till Dawn, when it you get a film that's very much focused on one character and their actions and then you're like oh my god where did he go yeah i mean i guess that's that's the, th- that's just a style of cinema it's like um we'll watch the film magnolia soon uh, one day and that isn't one story it's many different stories intertwining stories and and i think it's i think it's fine again this is come back comes back to the idea that really a film is an exploration of one message and it doesn't need to have even the same characters in all three acts or the same like this is the conflict and this is the ultimate goal of that it's just sort of three mm-hmm. examples of something that intertwine and come together i think something that's done badly in this film though is the fact that it bradley cooper's it shouldn't be ryan gosling and bradley cooper as the two main guys on the you know on the the titles at the beginning because that's you spend 50 minutes going where the hell's bradley cooper oh i didn't notice that because i knew bradley cooper was coming in later I didn't even see that that's funny yeah I think it's very I also remember I think it's badly marketed this film as well I think they they because I mean it's a you know it's a problem that these films have is how do we get our films out there well we say that this actor's in this film and we heavily market that I, personally I would have done it kind of as almost I would have had Ryan Gosling, Bradley Cooper, Eva Mendes. Um, in fact, I would have gone Ryan Gosling, Eva Mendes yeah, as my two main me stars. Too. I think it's just it's just, think, a, it's just a it's just a machine. It's a capitalist machine. Ultimately, it's like how Seven, the film Seven, had to be so confident to not put Kevin Spacey anywhere on their promotional materials because he's a yeah. huge star, and especially in, you know in the mid nineties, late nineties. That's and I think that's, that's someone who almost talks to the insecure. Yeah, because it sells to the insecurity of Bradley Cooper at this time. Well, he still uh, is it find- that or is well, he's still finding he's still trying to become a big star, isn't he? I, so well, they've it, had to use him in the marketing it's, department. It's him or his agent, or probably the marketing department, and the fact that they've gone like, spent fifteen million dollars on this. Bradley Cooper's just off the back of Limitless, and he's done two Hangover, hangover movies. Brian Gosling's a huge star. Bradley Cooper is going to put bums on seats. Uh, yeah, in in an ideal world, he wouldn't have been anywhere near the poster. No. Or the opening credits, because you're right, he's a name that you're looking for then, isn't he? Yeah, I think we should talk about some of the performances, though, from some of the characters in this. I mean, Ryan Gosling, standout performance for you? Or do you think one of the younger characters are better? He is very good. There's an interesting thing with Ryan Gosling, I, I love him and he's brilliant, where he's he's tapped into that whole thing of, if you don't say much, you, you'll never look stupid or vulnerable. 
you know, or not necessarily vulnerable, but you know, it's like the strong and silent type sort of thing. And actually, yeah. you say more with your eyes, and you say more with your silences. And as somebody who's quite a sort of nervous speaker, just like blah 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 blah, uh, I can respect that. There's a great little um, sort of conversation between him and Robin, Robin Ben Mendelsohn's character, um, where Ben Mendelsohn says, "Robin says, know know your way around an engine." Yeah, I could always use a good worker. All right. And that's it, like, he's got a job and he's just saying, yeah, all right, you know, and he's man of a few words. So I think the performance is great, but also that is helped by he doesn't need to say much. Yeah. I was, he- um, I, this was the first thing I'd seen Dane DeHaan in, and I was very impressed with him as being kind of an, a complex character. I saw him in Chronicle first right. before this. So I'd kind of was already familiar with him from that. Where he's re- he's re- have you seen Chronicle? He's really I good. Haven't there? But oh, really? It's it's worth a watch. We might do it one day. Um, yeah, he's in that, and he's basically the star of that film. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he's but he he plays very much the same kind of character in a lot of films where he's a bit that kind of withdrawn, sort of quiet character. Yeah, sort of a skinny nerdy kid type. Like, yeah, poss- like possible stoner, but really just. A gamer, maybe that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of uh, Dane DeHaan, uh, you can't mention him in this film without uh, mentioning. Is it Maury Cohen? Is that how we're saying his name? Because it's spelt with an E. I, I saw his. I, I don't know. Let's say Emory or Emory. I'd say Emory. Emory. Yeah, yeah, Emory. Let's go with Emory. Yeah. Let's say it's a. Yeah. yeah let's go with Emory. This Cohen. is an interesting one. Where I find a character so dislikable, I, I do you do the same way. You go. Oh, the, I hate the actor. The actor's done a fantastic job at making him dislikable in for the traits that he's got that are dislikable. Do you know what? I I was more at the fact that all the main characters, I could all kind of already knew who they were as actors, where this guy, I haven't seen him in anything else since. Yeah. So I was kind of like, oh, is he the weak link in this film in terms of performance? But he's not. He just plays an, a, a highly obnoxious... Highly obnoxious, uh, yeah. Like how old is he meant to be? Like seventeen? Yeah, 18? and he's talking like he's from well, as um, Jason says, like he's from Long Island, and he just never breaks that act. Really, he's just always like that, and he's just oh, I just hate him. Yeah, he does give you the creeps, doesn't yeah. he? He's, he's creepy to the. He's creepy with his, he's, this guy's meant to be his friend, and he's really creepy with him to the point where he pressures him into getting drugs for him. I think <laughs> it's know? an interesting one. It's and kind he commits of like, a crime it's, to do it's, it. It's teens, especially at a new school. They. Mm. You can see sometimes, and it's hard to know if you're projecting or reading too much into things. But he's he's he's, he's putting on an act, isn't he? Really, that character that his whole life is an act, and we've all done that where we've just tried to be a bit too cool. And if you do it with somebody who knows you well, they go, "Shut up! <laughs> what are you on about?" When you're not <laughs> quite being yourself, <laughs> and it's like that. But yeah. but Jason doesn't really know him very well, so he's he's getting away with it a little bit, or Jason's just letting him get away with it a bit. Yeah, a, I think yeah. we have to say how good Ben Mendelsohn is in this film. He's one of, so this was the year when I really, I think at first time I'd ever seen Ben Mendelsohn in anything, I thought, who is this guy? He's brilliant. So this and Killing Them Softly, just brilliant. Really, really just gets that yeah. character completely and the physicality of that character as well. And, you know, the yeah, really brilliant. Did you know he was Australian when you watched this film? Not the first time. I only really found that out um, when I watched probably Captain Marvel, I think. Or uh, was he was he Australian in Dark Knight Rises? No, he just couldn't tell where his accent was from. Yeah. In that. <laughs> so I think I only found out in uh, Captain Marvel. 
he's just great. He's, like he's very good at playing week. Scuzzy, but with a heart, as he is in this. He's sort yeah. of like a bit. He's just a bit of a, not a loser, but a bit of a like a you know, weasel. <laughs> Weasel's no, but that kind he's, of he's, he's the guy who you go around to his house and he gives you a beer, and he lets you just do whatever you want in his place because he's just like, he's like he's got no shame or no like. I don't know. He's got no pride or it's something. It's hard to pin down, isn't it? Yeah, it's, you but recognize an eminently likable character, character but... I think. Yeah, like when he destroys Brian Gosling's yeah. bike, you are, you know why he does it. Yes. You, but you know he's he's drunk when he does it. It's that kind of doing the right thing, but not at the right but time. He would have, but think. he wouldn't have done it if he was... Yeah, exactly. It was a... As it transpired in the next scene when he's got a gun in his mouth, he's like, oh yeah, that's probably not... Not the wisest thing yeah. to do, but he did it for the yeah. good of his friend, you know. And he, yeah, a really, actually, a, a good man. And again, like messy characters, he's a good man, but he robs banks, <laughs> and yeah, and he's, he's a, yeah, like you know that he would pay Ryan Gosling's character more if he could. Yeah, but yeah, I really like that that performance. He's so, full disclosure, audience, I have to say, unfortunately, with this film. I found out about a couple of weeks ago, I was watching one of those What Culture Top 10 videos um, where they were talking about killing characters off. And unfortunately, they mentioned in this uh, list that Ryan Gosling's character died. And I was yeah. quite annoyed Did at this. Did that affect your enjoyment? I, I think it, ultimately, I was I knew it was coming. And so, I, yeah, is the simple answer to that question. Yeah, I was really worried about that because... Because that hit me like a ton of bricks. Because I was like, it was well. It reminded me of the of Psycho, and I couldn't I couldn't refind this conversation or where I first heard this. Alfred Hitchcock said, "I'm going to kill off my main character at, on on the hour after the first hour," and he was talking to somebody. I can't remember if it was a member of the production team or his wife or something, and she said, "Make it 45 minutes," <laughs> and so he kills off the main character. Is it Janet Lee? Is that not? Is that her name? Uh, yes, think, yeah, generally. Um, after 47 minutes. And it's really unnerving because you, cause that's, you, most people have never seen that before. Uh, you know, and Pulp Fiction does it, but actually it's, it's not that early in the film when John Travolta dies. And he's back later anyway, so it's fine. Um, yeah, yeah, but he's definitely dead in this film, you yeah. know. Um, because I knew it was coming, and I knew that Bradley Cooper was in it, I knew that they were going to pivot into a different arc of storyline. So. Yeah. I knew that for whatever... So I was quite excited watching it going, well, how does he end up dying? Why does he die? What does he do? Well, that maybe it him... added something to your enjoyment of the film then. It added... Because you could feel like you were cheated out finality to that character. Yeah, you could feel like you were cheated out of more Ryan Gosling film and that narrative. If you didn't know he's going to die, that could be like, oh, I feel like I've been cheated now and I've got to, I would have I've been got to deal with Bradley Cooper. So character. angry if I'd watched this film thinking it was a Ryan Gosling <laughs> film. Because it is, but it isn't. Yeah, at the same he's in time. less than half of it. it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like I said. I mean, it does have those, you know, it does have that Sins of the Father, you know, that Greek tragedy element to it that you mentioned. Yeah, in the same way that um, Robert Downey Jr. and Tony Stark is not in Spider-Man Far From Home, but he looms large over it. His shadow looms large over that film without giving it anything of a tilt. That's not a spoiler at all. Um, he's, He's in the rest of the film. He affects the rest of the film, but he's just not on screen. Yeah, um... I think you know, like like you said, I, I, you were saying earlier that I might not believe the choices of the character. Actually, in this film, there was no choice that a character made that I didn't see as being unreasonable. I'm happy like about him that, deciding, it was to... messy human nature, sort of. Yeah, yeah. 
That's of course cool. she'd go back to him because it's the father of a child. She knows it's the wrong thing to do. But she's attracted to him as well. He's the, vague, he's the you know itinerant, sort of vagrant, peripatetic father figure who's... Look at those abs. Oh, you know. Well, here's a question I had for it. And it's one of the only few talking points I have, really, that I came out of this film that I really wanted to discuss. Is, are the actors too good-looking for this, for this story? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because... All their decisions are kind of driven by the fact, especially I think with Eva Mendes's character and Ryan Gosling's character, is that these are two good-looking people who just couldn't help themselves they've, to each other. I think they've done a good job at getting someone like Eva Mendes, you know, beautiful Hollywood movie star, to look like like a diner waitress who happens to be gorgeous. She looks quite put upon, yeah. and she's not really made up. And I mean, she doesn't even wear she's a not bra. Wearing a bra. The first yeah, scene and and and, a, and her, she's done an amazing job. In her posture and in her in her manner to do that, because you you see those people, you like you go to a restaurant and there's a waitress and you go, bloody hell, why aren't you in Hollywood? You're gorgeous. I think <laughs> they've made a good job of making one of the most beautiful people in the world look like just a really beautiful, ordinary person. Yeah, I don't know and, how old is she meant to be in this film though at the beginning, because he says he's born in '66 when he gets arrested. Right. So so this is she would be about or thirty, older? wouldn't he? thereabouts yeah um, he'd be about 27 yeah so I think so I'd assume she'd be about of, the same age yeah and, and Avery's 29 so they're all in that similar kind of bracket yeah yeah um, yeah I kind of yeah I, I bought I, do you know what it wasn't until they said his date of birth I was like what hey <laughs> I, I, I realised that the film was set in the 90s yeah and then you see the CRT I, computer screening like hang on yeah. either underfunded police department or this is not recent <laughs> yeah. well that's that was literally that's what I thought I was like oh wait a minute because there's that kind of aesthetic they have in American cinema sometimes where things are just a bit older yeah and I like that especially in small towns like this I like it where they're yeah. not re- like they don't have to explain. Oh, there's no reception here. That's why we're not using our mobile phones in this scene. It's just this hinterland thing where you just go fine. It's some time in the past, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, like when he uses. I actually was sat there going, "Why don't they have mobile phones?" Yeah, <laughs> I actually genuinely right. thought that at one point. And there's no guarantee no, just... that 15 years later, it's like 2010 or whatever. It could be. It could be the early 90s. It could be the you know it's it's. I like the non-specificity of it because you're not lingering on it and dwelling on it in that sense although that's exactly I, well, what we're doing right I, now <laughs> well I tell you but then yeah so I think that's a budgetary issue I think that they had a problem with they just didn't have the funding to do say what films like say Zodiac do where they can create a time period so specifically or you know any like Marvel or, or maybe um, it's like, just like it doesn't matter and it's off-putting because you just end up scrutinising and going well that's not from 1993 that's from 1994 he's got Windows 95 on that computer you know I, I like the specificity of it personally this is just me I like it when a film is tells you when it's set yeah. and if it's set in the past and it's not contemporary then I need those little markers for it and I was sat there going this looks a bit 90s why is he wearing a shell suit <laughs> <laughs> and then it was only when and I think that's the problem they've got especially with a film where they've got a lot of people driving around places because you end up having cars that are new on the road or you end up having buildings that are clearly post 2000 or in and around that time you know there's just a design aesthetic that came in, in a bit like it's the same issue um they had with uh 24 hour park people they just physically couldn't 
replace the bus on the road that was from the 1980s. Yeah, exactly. Oh. And again, that's, that's and, where the cinematographer comes in. They somehow have to find a lens that's nostalgic, and you know yeah. whether that's whatever. I obviously don't know what I'm talking about, but they have to make it look like that time period, roughly, in a way that is still good quality. <laughs> you know, still good, good like quality. Like when they're taking the when they're taking the photographs outside the shop. Yes. And the kids having the ice cream, and they're using a disposable camera. I'm like, why are they using a disposable camera? And then I thought, oh, well, they're a bit poor, and yeah, you know, they might not have the money to. Um, you know, they might not have a flash phone to take the photos on. Honestly, I just didn't. Or they might not own a digital camera. It just never even occurred and like to me. Said, that this it was is set what in I really 90s. liked is that it's just like, it's not made to be a thing. It's just, you know, because otherwise you can sort of trivialise it. I think, and that's very nice. Should we get to yeah, favourite? I mean, uh, made... we get to favourite scenes? Yeah, go on then. So, what was your favourite scene? My, I've got. It's difficult to choose between two, but I think my favourite scene ultimately really has to be the um the uh what do you call it? the chase scene it's yeah i've never the, the, seen the, the chase f- scene which like one that. so the, the chase the, scene the, where the final one the final one because it's it's dash cam it's in a cemetery so it's tight corners it looks real it looks like there aren't like there's no obvious like there's a few but it just looks like it's not cut and it's just very real and i've uh, the the point is i'd never seen it before and I was exhilarated by it when I first saw that. So that was, you know, to watch a film and see something you've never seen means that that film yeah. has done something. I also really like the ice cream scene where he's, uh, Luke is feeding Jason ice cream and, and they take the photo and there's just something really, I don't know, there's a light, there's just some solace in that. Or there's, there's a nice thing to that. How about yourself? Um, so yeah, I'm the same for the favourite scene. It's the failed bank robbery scene. Right. Um, it's for all the you've pretty much taken the words out of my mouth, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, um, there's almost a sense of unease, isn't there? Because you they they've done they do this shot a couple of times in the movie where you're tracking almost side by side with the motorbike, and because you can't see what's in front of you exactly, on yes. this very specific position, you're kind of almost like, is something bad going to come? When is he going to smash into something? Yeah, yeah. When or when's something going to come into frame at that from off off camera that we can't see? Exactly, that's going to affect this. Um, I did, and I, I like in that scene as well how they just introduce Bradley characters, uh, Bradley Cooper's character, where he's just the cop that just happens to drive past him and goes, "Oh sh- yeah. shit, he's there." Yeah, we've not seen <laughs> him just like, get on the for br- work that day or anything. He's just a cop, and you do go, "That's Bradley Cooper." He's been in a few big films at this point. It'd be quite nice if this was his breakthrough film. But you're right, it's, it's just yeah, he's been in a f- good few films by this point, hasn't he? Yeah. yeah, I think he was, but he showed, I think this was maybe the first film where he showed his acting chops rather than his comedic chops. Yeah, I mean, Limitless had that without the comedic chops, but you're right, I, I kind of made a note that it was it was ballsy because it was Ryan Gosling's film, and then you introduce this character, uh, Bradley Cooper's playing, and then that's who you're hinging on, and you go, wow. If that happened now, you'd be kind of like, oh, that's fine, it's Bradley Cooper in safe hands. Then he was a big star, but he wasn't... He hadn't done Star is Born, hadn't done uh, American Sniper. Silver Linings Playbook. Silver Linings, well. you know, he hadn't won an Oscar. And Has he won an Oscar? Did he win an Oscar? I don't think he... No, he hasn't. I think Jennifer Lawrence won that's the right. Oscar, didn't she, for Best Actress but in he, Silver Linings Playbook. But he wasn't Playbook. quite the household name that he, that he is now. So, again, it was a ballsy move. It's a big star, but... Um, but you know, it's still a, it's still a, 
Yeah, it's a big change. Game yeah, change. from 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 2019 perspective, it's effortless, isn't it? Yes. It's like, no, oh, of course you just if this is the story you're telling, here here's Bradley Cooper, yeah. and you're like, oh, he can take Safe it. Hands. You know, yeah, yeah. I don't think he's as compelling as Ryan Gosling's character. He's a bit clean cut, isn't he? But he's a complicated character because he isn't just a white knight savior type. He is, as you see from his his son, he is flawed. But you're right, he's he's less compelling than than Ryan Gosling. How about yeah. your favorite lines? Maybe maybe the only character choice that you could scrutinise in this is when he goes to his son when he's got caught with also, also those cops really overreact when that they, they catch those kids buying drugs <laughs> like just take the drugs off them and send them on the yeah, way the kids the whole thing. do you know what yeah. I mean yeah there's, they seem to go very overboard in that um, and maybe when he goes into the interrogation room and he's talking to his son he's like I don't want you hanging out with this guy like he's got his reasons for not telling him and I understand them but I think in this situation it might have been because telling kids to stay away from one another ultimately always leads to the kids not staying away from and each other. And it led other. to a really interesting interaction where he goes immediately back to Jason, but he says sort of basically racist things about Jason's stepdad, Kofi. We should mention Mahershala Ali should be in every film because he's bloody brilliant, let's face it. Uh, I mean, he's like a bit part player in this film. <laughs> I mean, he's won Best he's... Supporting Actor Oscar twice. Like, he's, yeah. why is he not the lead in every film that comes out? <laughs> he's amazing. Oh, I love him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's a bit, again, he has that quiet confidence, doesn't he, that Ryan Gosling has where he's just, oh, he's on screen. He doesn't really have to say much. Yeah. But what, when he does say things, they mean things. And he, his performance when Ryan Gosling's character's in the in the bedroom and he's making the crib and he's like, what are you doing in my house? <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, you get out. And he's like, he plays that kind of guy who's like i've got to protect my family Mm -hmm. in my house because that's what a man does you know like i said we talked about toxic masculinity earlier but at the same time you can see he's a little bit afraid of this guy because he's quite a scary looking guy you know he's got tattoos on his face on his arms he's impulsive isn't he? yeah yeah and you know you really feel for this character yeah hollywood shits on these guys who step in and look after kids like yeah like why are we rooting for ryan gosling in this in this scenario i mentioned before in a previous episode in princess bride in liar liar why are we rooting for jim carrey in that scenario rather than carrie elwes carrie elwes is a brilliant guy stable and he's looking after a kid that's not biologically his but he's just boring and not funny and Ryan Gosling's mm. character is more exciting and sexy than, uh, than Mahershala Ali in this one it's, yeah. it's really unfair it's a weird trope <laughs> yeah yeah it's but so yeah so my f- favourite lines so that was my favourite scene oh, well I was going to say the other good scene as well is um, the bit where Ryan Gosling puts the gun into Ben Mendelsohn's mouth that's really good and he's like you owe me a new bike there's just a there's just a certain sense of dread in that scene and it's I quite like the fact that he, he didn't kill him yes, <laughs> quite honestly because yeah, yeah. a lot of films he would have just killed him and he's just like you owe me money but he's and a he's really like, good gateway isn't he for Jason or like a really good kind of bridge between this era and 15 years later yeah he's that um, maybe something that is a good scene but it didn't move me in quite the way I, I would have liked it to was when um, when uh Jason takes um, Bradley Cooper's character out into the into the woods, and basically he's going to kill him and changes his mind. I th- I thought the way the film had built, I was going to be really really invested in that scene. Um, he takes his wallet and just kind of buggers off. It is weird, actually. Yeah, that is a bit of a, that is a bit of an anticlimax. I I didn't necessarily yeah. think he should have killed him in that state, but 
Yeah, I think it was more one of those scenes where the tension is built and that was the point of it rather than actually the resolution. And obviously he finds the picture of his dad uh, and mum and dad. Yeah. Um, which, but then it, that, that finding the picture adds another layer of complexity to that character. That he's carried he's like, in his wallet the whole time. Yeah, yeah. And I was almost hoping that he would say, he'd go back to him when he found this picture and be like, why have you got a picture of me and my dad and my yeah. mum? I suppose, what, I, I wonder what, what else could be gained from that scene, really, I suppose. But but that will we would have gained Bradley Cooper's feelings of guilt because he clearly shows remorse and guilt about killing this guy. yeah. But because it's, a, yeah, it's, just, and I it's not a very neat that. film, and I like that about it. I think that's the point, really. That again, that's almost what you want as an audience is for him to go back and yeah. they talk it out, and it's fine. But really, well, but for me anyway, the product is better. Well, you got to say the best scene, so I'm going to say yeah, the you, best you line. Take us off. Um, we all know what it is. It's if you ride like lightning, you're going to crash like thunder. There's there's only one line in this film that Interestingly, really resonates. Ben Mendelsohn improvised that. Really? Can you believe it? <laughs> no, I can't actually. That does literally seem like the only line in this film that was actually written down. <laughs> exactly. And in, in, in Italy, the film is called Like Thunder. That's how really? powerful that improvised line is. It's amazing, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, the, the, the name of this film is a bit strange. It, the Place Beyond the Pine, mm. Place Beyond the Pines. It, it, I suppose it's... It, it's that idea, isn't it, of freedom, that place beyond what we live in. Yeah, it's, it's also what Schenectady means in the, in the what is it, like the local language. I need to look this up. Oh, is it Iroquois? Are they Something like that. In that I, area? Don't know. I don't know. I'm not. It's one thing, it's a thing I've read a million n- times. First Nations peoples, it's pretty poor, to be honest. Yeah, oh, Mohawk word. Yeah, the title comes from the name of the city of Schenectady, which is the Mohawk word for beyond the plain pines. Um, yeah, it's 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 one of those titles that will get you art house credit, but will make it harder to sell the film. Oddly enough, yeah, but it's it. I think it's an issue with a lot of dramas have, unless it's based around a specific thing. Yeah, like the English patient. Why is it called the English patient? Because <laughs> he's not English. <laughs> you know, it's you know the character talks about the irony of him being called the English patient in that film, but. Yeah, it's also it, like yeah, the English Patient is a film is a title that makes me think. Oh, I don't really want to watch that. <laughs> it just sort of bored me. And yeah, Place Beyond the Pines isn't the most inspiring title, but it's not a, from a mysterious title. Exactly, it's not I a marketable th- one, but it's I think it's the right one. But it, I think there's a lot of you know you get a lot of films where it's just a single word, isn't it? You know, like Rush or Drive. <laughs> as we were yeah, talking off air. Um, uh, what else? Um, shame. You know, right, shame. Yeah, there's another one. <laughs> It's um, like the name of an emotion or some sort of yeah archetype. Yeah, thing. or a, an idea like Inception. Yeah, the, you know. I think it's. I think it's, Which, it's again, it's Alatau's sensibilities, isn't it? And, it? and it's beautiful in that. Yeah. Analysis. My um my favorite line was the same one you said, but I've got my favorite funny line was really Otter. You might know the one I'm talking about. Oh, I didn't catch this one. He says, I didn't write it down. It's after Avery crosses shot Ryan Gosling, uh, Luke, and he says, um, I've been on the force 22 years, pulled the trigger maybe three or four times. You're on for six months, already got one in the bag, and he was white. That's an extra 50. <laughs> <laughs> I just really like that sort of, he's a scumbag, but it was quite funny. And um, I told you a lot about yeah, a lot character. Of the... A lot of uh, reviews I've seen of this was they saying, "Oh well, once Ryan Gosling's character dies, it's a it goes into like a Serpico kind of way, which is a film I've yeah, not seen. I've not seen it actually, but um, I know I've seen the episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where Charlie's being Pacino, <laughs> so I feel like I've seen Serpico. Right? Okay then. So, so what's next? Well, 
Um, we're going to go for a little break. When we come back from the break, we're going to get a few things. We're going to get huge ratings. We're going to get what the critics say. And then we're going to get the quiz. Okay, welcome back to Please Watch This. We're going to get Hugh's rating now. Hugh, how many father's sins out of ten would you give Place Beyond the Pines? Um, I gave it a six out of ten. Six out of ten. Okay. Yeah. I think I yeah. must. I must. we must say, right, with a film like this is... So last week we did Licence to Kill, which we had fun with it, you know, but... You know, you put these two films side by side. Yes, they're different genres and Bond's almost a genre unto itself. And yes, the truth is, this is the better film because it's a proper drama. It's got real characters, real real scenarios with real people in it. Um, you know, I, at no point do you not think that any of these people could exist and that these situations haven't arisen and that these situations don't happen. Do you know what I mean? It's the more worthy I, film. But you probably enjoyed Licence to I don't know more. if I'd use the word worthy. I, I think that's a... It's the more artistic. I can never say a film's... It's the more higher quality, but... Yeah, it's got it's got something to say. Yeah. You know, like you said, it's got a moral message. It's not about... It's not there to please its audience. It's there to to display something, to, to present them, something maybe. to its audience. Yeah. yeah, I mean, one thing I'd said about it, and one of the things I said I like about this film when I wrote down my notes for it was, it has real teenagers acting like real teenagers <laughs> behave. You know, there is... They're not everyone's like they are on fucking Glee, <laughs> you know, or on these weird Netflix shows where these children are ridiculously ambitious for a 17 year old. Yeah. You know, in my experience, kids tend to behave like the kids in this film. doesn't matter what background they're from. Yeah, well, I think that's that's fair to say. Um, so, yeah, but I've, yeah. I've got to give it a six because it didn't quite quench that urge for a... A great film and I think if you took out the actors in this film for people who weren't as attractive I don't think it'd be as I think I think we'd go oh have you seen this film with so and so and aren't they great in it but when you put Ryan Gosling and Bradley Cooper and Eva Mendes in it you kind of say you, you, you're saying to an audience this is what you should be watching because we've put these very popular actors in it not what you should try and discover but obviously that's that you look it's their prerogative it's a film at the end of the day it's there to make money and you know you're going to take the best talent available to you and i can't fault them for that yeah and it's these kind of films that that most get um not rejected but that are most in danger really when we get into hollywood machines because the the high budget um blockbusters they're always almost always going to make their money back the, the ones that are one or two million, they're not as much of a risk. Like a $15 million one like this, this is a sort of thing that's more in danger. So it's, it, it is great when they pay off and when they when they make their money back as well. Let's have a look at the uh, critical reviews then. So yep. we'll start with our good friend, Roger Ebert. He said huge applause to the director and his co-writers for creating a movie that announces its ambitions from that opening sequence. The music, the cinematography, the acting choices, the daring plot leaps... Not a single element is timid or safe. The Place Beyond the Pines earns every second of its 140-minute running time. So he really liked it, gave it four stars. There's Wow. There, yeah, you there are some bad reviews review. out there, or some negative reviews out there. It got more, something in the range of a 68 or 70 on Metacritic. Henry Barnes of The Guardian. He said it's okay. ambitious and epic, perhaps to a fault. It's a long, slow watch in the final act. 
Um, he says that uh, the director signposts the ripple effects of crime with giant motorway billboards, then pootles along following a storyline that drops off Mendez and Byrne, Rose Byrne, um, before winding on to its obvious conclusion. I didn't see it as an obvious conclusion. I saw it as like a inevitable conclusion. That was sort of the point. And then Ed Gonzalez of Slant Magazine, he criticised the film's plot, themes, self-importance, shallow characters and melodramatic nature. So you know, yeah, I can, go, I can go with, I could go with that. I could, go, I can see where Ebert's coming from as well, and I find it hard to argue with a man who can write such prose or who wrote such prose. Yeah. Quite frankly, it's uh, I always, I'm always a bit uneasy when I go against the best critics out there because they, uh, you know, they come to their opinions with great thought and uh, flourish. Um, but yeah, I just think if you didn't have these actors in it and you put in people who were just regular looking, no one would watch this film. Well, again, yeah. I'd like to, I'd, I'd watch that film. I'd like to see it. Let's do the quiz. Let's see how observant you were, Hugh. Uh, okay. Let's see. <laughs> Question one. What is Luke? Right. That's Ryan Gosling's character. What is Luke's biker team name? What's his? What's the name of his group? Oh, oh, I act. don't remember. Oh, it's like... Handsome Devils or something like that. You're not a million miles off. Handsome Luke and the Heartthrobs. Ah, yes, that was it. Yeah. Question two. Can you name any of the banks that he robs? No. <laughs> oh. There was one... What was the name of the... No, oh, I can't remember any of them. So the frankly. first... He, he, he robbed three bank, banks on screen. The first two were both uh, First National Banks. And the, right. the last one was a Trust Co. Trust Co, that was the one yeah. I was trying to remember. I couldn't remember Trust Co. <laughs> yeah. Question three. Why does Robin, um, Ben Mendelsohn's character, say, when he's giving advice on bank robbers, bank robberies, he says, get them to lay the money out on the table, on the counter. Why? Ch- oh, that one's to check for ink packs. Yes. Yeah, so you can see if there's a die pack in there. That's good. That was it, die pack, yeah. Question four. I like how, um, I like it just when, on the bank robbery bits, I love how he gets really high-pitched voice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> people, people would actually sound like that if they're like that tense and you're right it's an interesting choice and I completely bought it yeah that was great <laughs> yeah um, how much money do the cops recover from Romina's house oh uh, $14,000 well done $14,000 finally question five what does Jason steal for AJ's party from the pharmacist Oh, is it amoxicillin? You're on the right lines. It's amoxic summer, isn't it? It's an oxy. He says o- get some oxytocin. Yeah, well, oxycontin, I think, is the... Oxytocin. Uh, yeah, what is that? Is it just a painkiller so, drug? It will be. Oxytocin is, is what makes you feel, like, yeah. nice and kindred spirits. And, uh, like, I think women release a lot of oxytocin when they give birth, so they feel that... that like towards their child he says oxys yeah. I, um, I think I'm right saying that's oxycontin right okay yeah. uh, have you got two more questions or have you just done five this I'm going to stick with five uh, I'm a changed wow. man wow yeah. your your method was less to... work so I decided it was the better <laughs> one <laughs> my method was I think ten's too many and probably seven would be too many too <laughs> so, so you did alright you, right uh, you got three three out of five can't fault you there sir did it did I? Well, I, Actually, did I can't I, fault I, you. I you the... missed two of them, so that was your fault. Yeah, I, 
Yeah, I didn't get the first two, got the third and fourth, and didn't quite get the uh, <coughs> the fifth. Oh, that's true. Sorry, you got but, two yeah. out of five. You got two and a bit, two and a half, I'll say. Yeah, fantastic. So fifty percent, I got a solid E. Not bad at all. <laughs> Not bad. Solid pass <laughs> or a D. <laughs> so we've done placement on the pines. I'm disappointed, but if I'm honest, I I, I suspected you weren't going to like it as much as I do. Next time, I'll I'll recommend you know those really straightforward. Um, here's oh the guys need to do a heist. Oh they've done the heist. Oh isn't it a happy day? I'll do one of those films. I mean, look, it. I like the fact that it kind of presents the character in that you think oh everything's going good for him now he's got the money that he needs he's got you know he's he can provide for his kids you know maybe he's going to do a wise thing with this money and then it all just falls apart and he dies are you familiar you know, with within... Spot the Dog? I might uh, bring that in for the next what? weeks what the kids book Spot <laughs> yeah. the Dog? I reckon you could follow that quite nicely and oh, not get right, too okay. put off by the confusing themes and uh, messy humanistic portrayal in there right okay I mean look at <laughs> I've insulted you your intelligence. You I'll, 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 I'm gonna, I'm gonna claw back from it. Yeah. What we're gonna do next week, you? Uh, you're gonna fuck off. <laughs> and then I'll watch. Um, you can. We're gonna so, uh, so in the. You know, we're gonna make this contemporary to 2019. So as we speak, or as we are speaking, uh, Lewis Hamilton has just won his sixth world title back on Sunday uh, in the Formula One. I'm a massive Formula One fan, um, and in I think it was 2000. And, 11, there was a film released called Senna, so it's a documentary about the life of Ayrton Senna um, so I'm going to recommend this film to Sam because uh, um, I want to share my enjoyment of F1 and one of its most colourful figures uh, with unfortunately a tragic ending Spoiler but, alert. Yeah, I think. yeah, I mean if you if you know who Ayrton Senna is, you know he's dead <laughs> <laughs> and you know he died in a race so yeah um so yeah we're going to go a bit left field instead of doing a, f- a podcast about something uh, that's uh, a story we're going to actually look at a real life event and events and we're going to we're going to get into that and i think it's going to make a f- fascinating uh, conversation actually i'm looking forward I'm really to looking it. forward to it i've been I've, what do you uh, what do i know already i i know he dies um yeah. and that he's probably uh dissuaded from doing this race I've had the Blu-ray for about six years, borrowed from my good friend <laughs> Rob Morton, who's now literally the other side of the world in New Zealand, so good luck getting that back, Rob. Um, so <laughs> They have posts. Yeah. I'm not an F1 fan. I'm somebody who has enjoyed an F1. Clearly after six years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a sort of lazy Sunday afternoon, I have enjoyed the odd F1 race, but I... I really don't know much about it. I, I got I got excited when Lewis Hamilton won his first championship. I didn't know he'd won five out of the last six. When I saw he's yeah. won behind Schumacher, I thought, when did he get those other five? Because that was, I thought he'd got like three. So I'm really not an F1 fan, but I hear um, that the film, you don't have to be an F1 fan to enjoy it. I think Mark Kerr would have really loved it, and he's definitely not an F1 fan. No, you don't have to be an F1 fan. It goes into, it, it covers all the bases of what you need to know Um it doesn't. It doesn't give you more. Than, it, one thing this film doesn't do is it doesn't give you more than you than you need to. It doesn't want to confuse you. It wants to tell a very tight narrative and look into it in a specific way and the actions of people in and around. Um, quite frankly, there's two big events in Ayrton Senna's life. There's, well, don't tell um, me anything. That's that's what I will say going into it. I know he dies and I know he's born, so don't tell me anything yeah. else. I don't want it to be solid. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Right here. Cool. Well, Hugh, if our listeners want to get in touch and tell us that you're um, a cultureless slob. What 
Where could they email us? <laughs> so they can email us if they want to find out how much of a, you know, a pretentious twat you can be. <laughs> um, so what they need to do is they need to join the circus. Uh, they need to learn to ride a motorbike. And then what they can do when they're inside the cage of death is put some ink on their tyre and ride in such a way that I can read a message that's on the outside of that. Right. So they're going to have to... Yeah, so it's, it's going to be tricky. That. Yeah. I mean, look, I, we have we have some talented uh, listeners. Don't, don't judge our <laughs> listeners. You, you're trying to say that they couldn't do this. Oh, I mean, no, is that what you say? I wouldn't say that. I mean, you think it. so little of our podcast that you think I can't couldn't follow? I can just barely grasp the themes of Spot the Dog. So there you go. I mean, just so we're clear, he's a dog that's got a Spot. Yeah, it was two. Well, kind of like the end of his what? tail. He's got two. Yeah, one major one on his. He might have one on either side of his belly. I don't know if he's just got one spot. I'm always seeing Hey, you're the one who recommended it. Yeah, <laughs> you so should know these things. I'll look into it. I'll do my research. Yeah. So, yeah, so if they can do that, but failing that, they can email us at pleasewatchthis.pod at gmail.com. That's pleasewatchthis.pod at gmail.com. Sam, where can they find us on the internet? They can find us on Twitter at pleasewatchpod and on Facebook, we're called Please Watch This. I think you can also at pleasewatchpod and we'll come up. Or please, anyway, just look for our name. Um, yeah, yep. it's been it's been. I want to say it's been fun, but it's been uh, dreary, <laughs> <laughs> just disappointing. But you know, I'll get over it. I'll get over it. Well, do you know what you should do? Take yourself on a wee walk and to a place beyond the pines. Uh, get yourself a little motor bike. Motor bike driver. Yeah, a little mini motor. And you can a little crosser, and you can drive. You can drive your heart's content, and then you can rob a bank. I'll do that. I'll do that. Yeah, I think that's the only way to live life. To be <laughs> that's my message. Well, we love you all, listeners, and we will speak to you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.